Let's take a moment to pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we ask that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that we may know the hope that you have called us with and the riches of your glorious inheritance and the immeasurable power toward us who believe. Lord, we do ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. And we ask it through Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. You know, when Ronnie talks about me being easier on the eyes, I just have no idea. I have the complexion of a bruised peach. And his complexion is rich Corinthian leather. So I don't know where he's getting his uh, thoughts from. In fact, sometimes, some of you are probably like, but wait a minute, Ronnie's the new guy. Like, why isn't he preaching? Well, we decided to be kind to him and give him a break on a day where he's going to have to have a lot of things asked of him and he's going to need to respond. And, and so we were, we were thinking this would be a nice way to uh, give him a little bit of a respite in the midst of it. But also, it's, it's weird. It's weird to come into a role that you're not usually in. Now, I know some of you are like, but Jason, we've been listening to you on you know, the computer for like, you know, how many months? And I admit, yeah, that's been part of the dynamic we've experienced through the pandemic. But also, that's different. And you knew it was different. You experienced it as different. I experienced it as different. It's weird to preach to a computer. It's much better to talk to live, real people to see your eyes, to hear you laugh at my dumb dad jokes, to actually have some response and rapport. And it just reminds me of that newness, that newness that comes when you've been asked to do something that you're not used to doing. In fact, it, one of those kinds of events was a mentor of mine, a mentor that I've learned a lot from and continue to learn a lot from, who is not, he's not even a pastor. He's a professor and a ruling elder in a PCA church, but he is a mentor of mine, and he taught, he, he taught me for several years, and I remember one time he asked me my opinion on something in his area of study. He asked me a question about his thing, and my immediate reaction was not, finally, they will listen to my brilliance. My reaction was more like looking around to see who else was behind me in the room because obviously he wasn't talking to me. Have you had that experience? Have you had that experience where you were asked to contribute to something by somebody that you respect greatly and your first response is like, you sure, like, what? you sure, me, me, me? Maybe you've had that experience. Maybe you've had that feeling of not being qualified to contribute to the conversation. The feeling where surely the real conversation, the real work here is not for me. It's for real students. It's for real partners, real scholars, real professionals, real managers. We get this sense that it's above my pay grade, as the saying goes. It's called imposter syndrome. And the definition of imposter syndrome is when an individual doubts their skills, talents, and accomplishments and has, this is the kicker here, and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. Have you had that feeling? 
It's okay. I've had that feeling most of my life. I've had that feeling of like, if people knew who I am, they would show me the door. If I dare to raise my hand and even speak up in this meeting, I may have to finish with, and I'll see myself out. <laughs> and that's what brings us to this passage from the Gospel of John that Amanda just read for us. And maybe you heard some of that happening in it. Because in this passage, we see Peter, the disciple who repeatedly rushed to prove his devotion, to prove how bought in completely he was to God's kingdom as Jesus was teaching it. The one who was always quick to say, oh, you want that? I'll give you even more, you know? Like, I'll do so much, Jesus. Just let me at it. But also, this is Peter who denied Jesus three times. That this Peter has profound insights declaring when he's asked, you know, who do you say that I am? He says, you're the Christ, the Son of God. But it's also the same Peter who had cut off the ear of the priest's servant when Jesus was arrested because he was still thinking in his own perspective about what it meant for the Christ to come and take charge of things. He thought it was going to be something like a military coup. And it wasn't. Jesus was taking the path of suffering. And Peter wasn't ready for that. So I think Peter is having an experience similar to imposter syndrome. He's eager to be with Jesus, but he doesn't know where he stands with Jesus. His deepest longing is to do what the Lord asks, but his confidence is shattered by his memory of his own recent broken devotion. So, for some context... Let's see what had been set up right before we get here. They had been fishing. Verses 1 through 3 of chapter 21 read like this. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel and Cana of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, for those of you keeping track at home, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we can go with you. And they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And so then we see that Jesus shows up. And verses 4 through 8 tell us what happens. Jesus shows up, but they're not aware initially. Verse 4 says this, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. So now we have some idea of what happened before they got out on land. And that's when we come to verse 9. And that's where 
we see Jesus has a charcoal fire. They saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. A charcoal fire. I don't know about you, this puts me so immediately in the story because I can smell that smell of that charcoal fire because it would have been a fire set where a fire previously had been, where the wood had burnt but wasn't totally consumed. And so it has that smokiness, but it doesn't smoke a ton. It's not like green wood going on there and it's just all these pillowy puffs of steam. It's just a nice, even burn and he's got it going and the fish are there and the bread are there. You can almost smell it. And that smell of charcoal. Mm. You see the fish are there and you can kind of even start to imagine smelling the fish starting to get that roasty, toasty smell. And the little loaves, the little barley loaves that we're cooking, like, this smells great. And if you've been working all night, this smells amazing. Jesus had already prepared everything. He'd already prepared everything. So what does this mean? What it means is that Jesus doesn't need what we bring. Peter was so eager to be with Jesus that he jumped out of the boat before the boat got to shore. But Jesus didn't need anything from Peter. He already had everything provided for Peter and for the disciples and for us. Jesus has already provided everything they would need. He's already provided everything we need. So when we come to him, when we come to him and say, Lord, I want to serve you, it's not because he needs us. It's because he calls us and he's still providing everything we need. Fish and bread, it's the most common meal for that region. More than subsistence, but not a feast. It's substantial and wholesome. It sustains you through your day. Everything you would need for a meal. And Jesus already had it there on the fire. Before they came to shore on their boat, before their fish were even part of the scene, Jesus didn't need what they brought. Jesus had already supplied what they would need. And this is one of the profound things for us to think about when we're following Jesus, when we're seeking to serve him. Our service is desired. Our service is impactful. But our service is never necessary to the Lord. He does not need our contribution. He asks for it. He is more than sufficient on his own. He already has everything he could need. And he can summon whatever he needs. At the word of his power, but the beautiful grace of it is he includes us and he asks us for our contribution. Because it can be tempting to think when we think that we are needed, when we think that we're necessary, when we, when we think that we are essential, when we start to believe that what God is doing in our lives and in our world will go to pieces without us, that is when the temptation comes so easily for us to be arrogant, for us to be pompous, for us to have a sense of entitlement, to have an inflated sense of our importance. No, Jesus doesn't want what we, what we do for him. He wants us. He wants us. That's why it's so beautiful we sang that song, that his love is running after us. God pursues us. Jesus is after us. Jesus wants us, not what we do. He wants us. 
Not how impressive we are. He wants us. Not how intelligent we are. He wants us. Not how strong we are. He wants us. Not how compassionate we are. He wants us. And it's not because he needs us. He has everything that we would need. Fish and bread. And imagine that. (laughs) Fish and bread. Because even as Peter is coming toward it, probably it just looks like another meal to him. But also, isn't it easy to imagine with me? And this is a little speculative on my part, so it's not, this is not a thus saith the Lord thing. It's just an imagine this with me moment. Peter's coming up and he sees fish and loaves, and he's probably thinking, oh yeah, Jesus brought fish and loaves. Like that time he took that kid's leftovers and fed thousands of people. Because that happened to Peter. Peter was there. He saw Jesus distribute basically a leftover lunch of fish and loaves to thousands of people. And Peter himself was one of those who had to pick up the leftovers. And he probably remembers the weight of that huge basket of leftovers that he carried back with him. Fish and bread. Jesus delivers regardless of whether we can deliver or not. Jesus delivers. Jesus has it covered. So we see that Jesus doesn't need what we bring. But Jesus also, in inviting us to contribute to what he's doing, just as we see him asking Peter and the disciples, bring some of the fish that you caught, he invites our contribution, even as he is the one who gave us our contribution in the first place. Jesus gave us our contribution in the first place. Now, let's think about this. It's Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, and John, and two other disciples who were fishing. We know that several of the disciples were professional fishers prior to following Jesus. Jesus, even when he called them, said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. He made a little pun on what their job was. And yet, these professional fishers fished through the night, which is some of the best time to catch fish, late night through early morning. But they had caught nothing. And Jesus is on shore, they don't know it's him yet, and he shouts instructions to them. And again, this is just my imagination going a little bit further than what the text actually says. But like, I I just, it's, it's hard for me not to imagine because this would be my reaction. It would be, sure, guy on the shore, I've been fishing all night, but yeah, if I just let the nets down on this other side of the boat, that'll make a difference. Sure, buddy, I'll do it. But they do, and the result is that they get a huge catch of fish. They get a huge catch of fish. John immediately identifies that the figure on shore is Jesus because of what's happened. He just remembers that Jesus had this power to make the fish show up for fishermen. Jesus had this power over all creation to make the wind stop and chill out when they were in the storm, that Jesus had this miraculous power. And so John makes the connection really quickly. He says, Peter, this is Jesus. It's the Lord. And so Peter grabs his cloak, ties it to himself, swims to shore, And Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Verse 10, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Wait a minute. (laughs) The fish who just caught? Jesus 
invites their collaboration. He says to them, bring your contribution to what I'm doing here. And Jesus may not need our contribution, but he invites us to collaborate even as Jesus is the one who gave them their contribution. Now, I know that at this point, you're probably like, okay, so Jason, you're saying that like Jesus said, bring your thing, but the thing they're bringing is something that he gave them. This is feeling like a Christopher Nolan movie where I'm going to need a map later to figure out, you know, it's a temporal tensor movement or whatever. But imagine, again, that we are Peter walking back out into the gentle waves of the morning grabbing hold of the net and helping his friends drag the net on shore, and you start to count out the fish. 150, 151, 152, 153, 153 large fish. It's a wonder the net isn't broken. It would have ordinarily been shredded carrying this many fish out of the lake. And so Peter grabs a fish and it's hefty in his hand. And turning back to walk toward Jesus, you can imagine it just dawns on him. This fish is only in my hand because Jesus told us to let down our nets on the right side of the boat. Isn't that our experience? That Jesus invites us to contribute. That he invites us to follow him and beyond that, beyond our sins forgiven, beyond us receiving the righteousness of his beautiful son credited to us, what does he do? He says, and you, join what I'm doing. Contribute to what I'm doing. Come along with me as I make the world new. And don't we see that? When we contribute to God's kingdom mission, we find that even our contribution is itself a gift that God put in our hand. Do you feel the weight of it? Can you see how your musical talent, your gift for numbers, your willingness or even eagerness to just help is a gift from God? We all have ears for listening, hands for helping, feet for walking alongside. All of our capacities are gifts from God. They're things that Jesus gave us. And when we can bring our gifts back to God in service, Anytime or all the time, it's beautiful because it's a grace. It's a grace. It's a beautiful, undeserved blessing of God that we can come and use who we are, who he made us to be in service to what he's doing in the world. Though Jesus does not need us, he still invites us to collaborate with him in his mission. He welcomes our effort to serve him. He delights in our trying. He delights in our trying. Like, I need to hear that. So I'm going to say it again. He delights in us trying. He continues to invite our agency, our choosing to serve him. And no small part of that is that it restores our dignity as his people because he created us to collaborate with him since the beginning. Our work as dentists or teachers or cooks coffee roasters, coders, COOs, pastors. It's all a gift. And it all resonates deeply with the first calling of humankind to tend the garden. We are invited to collaborate with the God of the universe, 
Not because our contribution is needed, but because it is wanted. Our contribution is wanted because we are wanted. It reminds me of the words of Anne Lamott. She recounts in one of her recent books of teaching a very small hodgepodge Sunday school class. And she starts each lesson by turning to each participant in the class and says, you are loved and chosen. Can you believe it? You are loved and chosen. You are loved and chosen. And that's what we see here in this exchange between Peter and Jesus. Peter is loved and chosen. And we're with Peter. We are loved. We are chosen. And then finally, one of the things I see in this, in this odd little narrative that I know most people wouldn't think of this as, well, this is the kind of sermon that you would preach when you're having a new pastor installed. Because I not only sell pastors, but pastor accessories. No, that's, sorry. I just went straight into Hank Hill mode there. You're probably thinking, this isn't the kind of sermon we usually hear. We usually hear the story right after this, right? Where Peter and Jesus are talking, and Peter says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And that is ordinarily where we would go, but there's so much in just this one little story, this one little interlude. Because once the disciples get on land, we see Jesus serving them, even as they are trying to serve him. They get on land, they have their fish, and then we see verses 12 and 13. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. They're absolutely confident that it's Jesus now. And what does Jesus do? He serves them. He brings the bread to them. He goes back to the fire. He brings the fish to them. This is the, the mystery of being in relationship with Jesus, that we come to serve and we find ourselves served. Peter and the other disciples are being fed by Jesus, and they cannot help but think how many times before he had supplied what they needed, whether it was through miracles or the ordinary life of an itinerant rabbi and his entourage, and how many times he was their servant, even at one point washing their feet before their last Passover meal together. And here they are. They bring their fish, their contribution, and Jesus brings them bread and fish. They needed breakfast. He's serving them breakfast. He's giving them what they need. How often when we think, I will do this thing the Lord is calling me to do, and we expect that because it takes our effort, our will, our prayers, our showing up, we expect it to leave us depleted. And it can be depleting. It can wear us out. And yet, how often do we find that the Lord actually energizes us beyond any thought of what it cost us in the process of serving? I think this is the trailing edge of that quote that Ronnie has been sharing with us as he's been taking us through Hebrews. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
It's the trailing edge of that because what we find is that when we actually give ourselves to God, when we give ourselves to following Jesus, to serving in his kingdom mission, to serving among his people, we find ourselves more blessed than the effort we put into serving. It's one of the mysteries of functioning as God's people. So we see it when we teach Sunday school or children's worship. We find that the story touches our lives in a deeper, more profound way than we could have expected. When we show up to help with mock interviews, we find our lives blessed as we hear the story of our friends from Cross Purpose, and we're thanking them for helping them out. When we help with set up and tear down, we somehow feel more engaged in worship for our efforts, not less because we're tired or we were frustrated when things didn't work the first time. Jesus serves us even as we are serving him. And this frees us to keep serving, keep showing up, keep diving in, to keep listening, to keep teaching, to keep setting up tables, to keep praying with each other, to keep organizing meal trains, to keep worshiping, because Jesus is there with us. And when we are there serving, he is serving us. We're never worthy because of what we do. And we never, worship, we never measure up because of the effort we give. But what we do is we recognize Jesus meets us there and he, through our experience, through his wonderful Holy Spirit, he not only energizes us to do what we're doing, but he helps us to express the gifts that he gave us in the first place. And what we see is the deep gratitude develop in our hearts because what we realize is I'm not needed and I'm not special. But Jesus loves me and chose me and has brought me into his kingdom. And he's inviting me to collaborate. He's inviting me to work with him. So any contribution that we might make comes with this footnote of God's immeasurable grace. We have a seat at the table because of God's grace. We are loved because God chose to love us. And we are invited to contribute because it is good for us, not merely because it's good for the mission. We can contribute because God loves us and he delights in what we bring. He's transforming what we bring into his good and perfect work. He gives us the choice to contribute because he wants our uncoerced love to flow, to grow in our capacity to love him and to love others. So let's take a moment to pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you do indeed take our contribution, such as it is, and you transform it through your grace into something that has huge impact in our life and in the lives of others. And Lord, we are deeply humbled by that. Lord, we see ourselves in this story as those who are rushing to be with you, but also feel that tug that maybe we don't deserve to be with you. Maybe we're not qualified to be with you. But Lord, you have said that we are chosen and we are loved, and you want us to bring our contribution like so many fish. And yet, Lord, we look at the fish in our hands, the gifts that you've given us, and we recognize that you gave it to us in the first place, Lord. You're so good to us. And Lord, you not only do that, you bring us you bring us to this place where we can then relax into how you are using us in 
your work to build your kingdom. And Lord, in the midst of it, in the midst of us trying, you're helping us. In the midst of our efforts, you're healing us. In the midst of our strivings, you're blessing us. And so we thank you, Lord. And we invite your work in and through us. And Lord, we ask that you would, through your Holy Spirit, just motivate us to come follow you and be with you, knowing that we are loved and chosen through Jesus Christ. And the people of God said, amen.